relationship, or were you in one that gave you hope? You couldn't think of anyone but this person in each moment of your day, and when you were married, it just felt right. Eventually, to find that you both have somehow drifted apart, and now you're not sure how you thought you had anything in common with this partner. Hold on to your seats while we help you to bring you back on track. Our guest for the day will be Tim Pellis. He is the founder of the Marriage Solution. A renowned Wall Street analyst, Tim Kellis, takes on what could be considered society's biggest problem today, which is divorce. The journey that led to him tackling such a significant issue was both personal and professional. After a successful career that eventually landed him on Wall Street, Tim met what he thought was the girl of his dreams, only to see that relationship end with bitterness and anger. The journey included work with a marital therapist, and after he discovered the therapist wasn't really helping, decided to tackle the issue himself. So let's welcome Tim to the show. Hi, Tim. How are you? Oh my goodness, Rashmi! <laughs> what an introduction. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. That's a great way well, to get the energy started. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited, as most of our audience might be, because. Because you know what? This really hits home. It's something that we all want to work on in our relationship, and we want to make sure that we're doing the right thing. And I'm so happy and grateful for you to be on board, explaining about and getting to the real deal on relationship. So, Tim, before we begin, how about you let us know why you wanted to embark in this journey to help us out? Well, that's in fact, when you understand the depth of that question, this was a very painful experience of mine. You know, I had a successful career. You know, I had a good group of friends, had a pretty good grounding of who I was, and I met this girl I actually known for about eight years. And what you realize when you meet somebody that you hit it off with is it goes very quickly. And this is typical. We had known each other for a long time, but she'd always had a, a boyfriend and I always had a girlfriend. And when we met this time, we were both single, came together very quickly, got very close. In fact, I was commuting, working on Wall Street between Dallas and New York. I'd spent a month in New York and a month in Dallas. It was an unbelievable life. And we started fighting. And it was just the whole, the pain of what that did. How that, In fact, just so you know, as an engineer, I'm taught to solve problems. I am not taught judge. I don't understand the kind. I mean, yeah, I do psychologically on why people are judgmental, but that's not my mind. And, and particularly right. something this important. <laughs> this, this was the girl I was going to spend the rest of my life with. And then again, most importantly, and I'm not being critical of the psychology industry. Please keep that in mind when you listen to this broadcast. I am advancing the psychology industry, but it's important to understand where the psychology industry is today in order to find out the advancements. But I was working with a marriage therapist. I knew exactly what needed to happen in order for us to, you know, to, to succeed in, in therapy, and it, he wasn't doing it. And so I decided to take on the subject myself. I spent two, nearly two years mm. researching and writing my book, 100 books, probably one of the most researched books ever written, because... And here's the point of your question. I wouldn't wish that pain on my worst enemy. You're in this, they call it the, a double bind in the psychology world. You turn right, it's dead end. You turn left, it's a dead end. And your mind just goes just goes haywire. That's when people, you know, get psychological problems. And here I am pretty grounded with myself and still dealing with that. And it was unbelievable. The only thing I could do, it was a friend of hers, actually, that I mentioned after I wrote this long letter to her that I should publish the letter that got me thinking about writing a book. And I have the solution. I've solved the problem. Amazing. Thank you, Tim, for giving us a bit of an insight on what it's done for you and why you came into this journey of solving a marriage problems and relationships within the marriage. You mentioned a bit on how things were and how your emotional side of things deteriorated, mm -hmm. which is all <laughs> mental, <laughs> obviously, right? Yes, what can you explain 
from your own personal experience and your professional experience of how to tackle the mental side of relationship and how to overcome certain hurdles that we go through. We actually, when we had met, she, this girl was, was really socially involved in the Dallas social community. And so she knew a bunch of people. And we had planned a trip. There were like, I think 19 of us going to, uh, I think it was Cancun in Mexico. And eight of us were on the same flight. We were flying through Mexico City and we were at the airport. And we're all, there's like six of us or eight of us our luggage and she looks at me and she goes i'm gonna go to the bathroom and so she walks off to the bathroom and i i've traveled so much in my professional life that i just one of my habits is when i'm at the airport and i'm waiting for my flight i go to the magazine rack so i walk over to the mag and literally i was right across the, the walkway from the luggage and she walks over and sees me at the magazine rack and she lost i asked you to watch the luggage yeah but i'm over you did you did me just it was we almost didn't go on the trip and that and, and i back at that experience so often because that was the first time we had an argument just the reflection psychologically on that mindset that you're in there versus everything else we were right. we were wonderful we Everything was going awesome. I was going to spend the rest of my life with this girl. And that's really all what I basically do to answer your question is I eliminate argument. Mm. From How so? Well, what you have to, first of all, if it's what I mean by, first of all, if I address marriages mentally, uh -huh. it's never happened before. Okay. What uh -huh. you are hearing today and everything you hear from me are mental stuff. And mental stuff, unfortunately, for the psychology industry can't be measured. And that's why they've had difficulty dealing with things mentally. Behaviors you can measure. This is why you get behavior advice from professional therapists, but mental concepts, there's no way of measuring common sense. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So at the end of the day, it's conflict resolution. How do you solve the marriage problem unless you solve the marriage problems? In fact, here's one of my big reveals. Your audience is going to love this one. The reason why marriages are successful is because couples get along. The reason why marriages are unsuccessful is because couples don't get along. I hate to tell you this, but it's no more difficult than that. So it's conflict resolution. And the first thing I do in conflict resolution is I break it down the two types of conflict resolutions, disagreements versus arguments. Mm -hmm. Disagreements are problem solving. Disagreements are forward looking. Disagreements are logical. Arguments are fault finding. Arguments are backward looking and arguments are emotional. Let's just say, Rashmi, that you and I get into a business relationship. OK, you and I are going to start a business and I'm the accountant and you have you want to buy a, a computer. How is that conversation going to go? You have your side. I have my side. If you want a $5,000 computer and we're hurting for money, we're going to talk about it. That is a disagreement. Okay. But when I call, when I tell you that you're a B-I-T-C-H because you don't agree with me, that is now an argument. Right. Okay. And arguments are emotional based and they're fault finding and they're backward looking. Okay. And, and also what you understand about argument, when I say I have solved the problem, the other reason why I say that. What an engineer is taught to do is an engineer is taught to look at what has changed to cause a problem. Okay. And so if you look at the history of Mary, I was in charge. It's been that way for thousands of years. Church is patriarchy. First, first page of the Bible. What does it say? The wife will obey her husband. So what has changed? Okay. Divorce rate was single digits until the 60s. And in 1970, less than 1% of all law and medical degrees went to women. By 1990, that number was over half. Women for the first time in history were educated. And for the first time in history, were able to go out and get jobs. They were no longer subordinate to their husbands financially. They're no longer dependent on their husbands to make a living. We are now in the, the transition to equality. And we have not figured out how to do that. I don't know if you had a chance to watch my TV interview, but I'm interviewed by these two women and I mentioned to them equality. And one of them is a trained therapist. Uh -huh. And she goes, 
You mean like you don't talk gender roles where you do the, and she was asking me behavioral questions right? because she doesn't understand the mental aspect of equality. You and I starting a business where we each have an equal say in that business. I can't tell you to buy that $500 used computer and you can't tell me to buy the $5,000 computer. Okay. We have to disagree. We have an equal say. Equality is the answer to the problem. And what I mean by mental equality, now what I'm about to tell you, I'm not being critical, but I'm telling you as a fact, before the education of women, the man was responsible for the thinking side of the marriage, the woman was responsible for the emotional side of the marriage. The man did the thinking by controlling finances, and the woman raised the children and took care of the decorum of the house, okay? And so what has happened is now we're trying to figure out how to do both. That's mental equality. And when you get into the details of conflicts, men and women actually handle conflicts differently. That's a little more conversation that I want to go through at this point. But men and women handle the conversations differently. Men are more logical, women are more emotional. Okay. So with that as the backdrop, what I do is I break down what an argument is, okay, into its component parts. There's a process that we go through that leads to an argument. It begins with an insecurity. Your parents got divorced. Now you have a fear, which is what an insecurity is that you are going to get divorced. That is what is called a prejudice. A prejudice is a preconceived opinion that's not been thought out. And what's the great about understanding most of our mental, our mental problems are prejudices. They're not biologically based. Contrary to what everybody in the industry wants to, wants you to, to believe, it's not true. Our mental problems are mental. I mean, basically, as you mentioned, it's based on something that has happened while you were in childhood. So if you've noticed that your parents have gone through divorce or dead relationship, you're going to feel that fear. Of course, because you love your parents. Because you love your parents and you don't want to repeat history. The unfortunate reality, this is where then you really get into the deep psychological stuff on where transit, where the spiritual transformation comes in. But, mm -hmm. but if you, the way that relationships work, unfortunately, is if you fear it, it will happen, okay? If you're afraid of getting divorced because your parents got divorced, guess what's gonna happen? Okay. Now, a judgmental mindset, a control mindset, a power mindset. Ultimately, what I do is I neutralize the power drive in marriages. Hmm. Let, me, let, me, let me give you a, a very, very profound quote. And if people are listening to this, you're gonna wanna write this down, you're gonna put this on your refrigerator. Where there are no distinctions, there can be no superiority. Perfect equality affords no temptation for abuse of control. What I ultimately do with couples, when they get the breakthrough, is when they understand that concept. What equality will mean, when you and I, before we started this, you're like, you're looking forward to this, peace, love, happiness, this is what we're, what your podcast is promoting, this is exactly what I teach. And what that means is equality, the peace that you get in a marriage based on equality, all that means is you and I get an equal say. That's it. Right. That's all that means. You can't tell me the answer and I can't tell you the answer. Nobody has control. This is what we're trying to figure out. This is the problem in our marriages today. We have not figured out how to eliminate the power drive because now there are no rules. There are no rules. And, Going and back so you to your example, and I completely agree with you, the example of argument versus the computer example. The disagreement. Right? The disagreements. Exactly. If I understand correctly, can we not talk about negotiation? That's exactly what that it is. Yeah, because that to me seems, it's, it's not, I want to make me, sure I understand and I, you're teaching me here. This is how deep this gets. Please. In fact, when I do my workshop, it's a two month weekly workshop. And before every session, this is the question I ask everybody. What is the most important thing I'm teaching you? And they are supposed to answer this. Okay. 
life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. When most people look at that line, they look at what? The pursuit of happiness. But what I do is I break down life and liberty. Life is a moral concept. It's taught to us by the church. All life is precious. Believe it or not, that's something new in our society as well. We could kill yeah. people and justify it. Okay, all life is precious. We know that. And when it comes to relationships, morality is empathy or understanding your partner's feelings. Liberty is a political concept taught to us by this great system of democracy that's going to win in the end. No, no, no sidebars. But what equality <laughs> means in a relationship is respect or understanding your partner's thoughts. One of the most profound lessons I've had in my entire life happened to me when I was a kid, when I read To Kill a Mockingbird. I okay, we that. all read that as a kid, right? But yes. there's one line in that book that changed my life. And that line is, if you want to understand a man, you have to walk in his shoe. Author just died recently. Her name escapes me. But she just died recently, and she actually published a precursor to, to Colin Mockingbird for sure, before she passed away. So they had her on the news a lot, and they always showed the same scene. It's Gregory Peck in the 50s in the movie. He's sitting on a park bench next to a kid, and he looks down at the kid. He goes, if you want to understand a man, you have to walk in his shoes. That is what that book is known for. Right. And that, to me, was really profound. I use that every day. But let me give you my example. Mm. Okay. Let me explain to you what that does in your relationship in a very simple manner. I no longer get mad at slow drivers. And the reason why I no longer get mad at slow drivers is because one day I realized that guess what? They're going someplace. If you're behind a slow driver, you would simply project into their seat. Think about it from there. They're, they're driving their speed. You're driving your, why, does your, why is your speed right? That's the point. Once you look at it from your partner's perspective, extrapolate that analogy into your marriage. Once you look at it from your partner's perspective, it all makes so much sense. But you have to ask the question. What are your thoughts and your feelings about this? Okay, Rashmi, what are your thoughts and feelings about buying this computer? Please tell me. That's negotiation. That's compromise. Mm -hmm. Now you're telling me, and I'm, oh, I didn't think about that because I don't know. Here's the other very important thing to understand. I've got some bad news for you, Rashmi. You're not perfect. And neither mm -hmm. am I, and neither is anybody else on this planet. Mm -hmm. There's only one perfect entity. That's up right. there. Right. Mistakes are going to happen. I got some bad news for everybody that's watching this. You're going to make a mistake. Mm. It's a fact of life. That's something that nobody's going to ever deny. But <laughs> how do you deal with making a mistake? You forgot the milk at the grocery store. What is the solution to that problem? You go back to the grocery store and you buy the milk, right? What do we do? We just yell and scream. It's Rashmi. It's your fault. Well, what do you mean? Yes. You told me you were going to buy. You told me you were going to be home at five. And now it's six o'clock. This is what I mean. And if couples were to simply learn that skill, they're on the mountaintop. They have discovered utopia. They just need to figure out how to do that. And that's what I teach. Very important for couples to understand that. There was one thing that you mentioned kind of resonated with me is how it was in the past where women took the role of emotional and well-being as well that, just as, you know there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that don't look down on the fact that no no no, no. I, on the contrary on the contrary i really let me let me interject real quickly here okay Please. yeah i'm not gay not that there's anything wrong with it as jerry seinfeld so famously said because i have an emotional side how is a man supposed to relate to a woman unless he's emotional this whole notion of big because you know remember girls are educated now Girls thinking is is actually, this was the people will, because I even mentioned that, will think I'm being misogynist or what. I'm not. I'm trying to teach equality. 
But girls thinking is socially acceptable. Men feeling, on the other hand, is absolutely not. That's the biggest hole in this lesson. You're not gay because you have feelings. Not there's anything wrong with being gay. You're not, this is a man with emotions. That's what I've been working on. I cry. Okay? I'm not ashamed to admit that. I get hurt. I'm very sensitive. Okay? Because I understand that in order for me to be more consciously expansive, which is my goal in life, I have to both be logical and emotional. I have to embrace both sides of my psyche to be as mentally developed as possible. And that's what I've learned. What advice can you give our men? Great question. Get your pen and paper out for this one, too, if you're a man. So, in fact, what got this thought process started was I have discovered that men and women are actually from the same planet. That book has done more damage to our culture of marriage than anything in the public domain because it's used as an excuse. But it's socially accepted. She's from another planet. Oh, well. I was talking to a guy once. He goes, you know what I learned from that book? When my wife starts complaining, I don't say anything. And it got me thinking. Okay, so here, but, but let, me, let me elaborate. There's two scenarios. There's you and me having a conversation about us. And there's you and me having a conversation about others. You and me having a conversation about us is one thing. But you come home from work, bad day at the office. One of your girlfriends just really upset you. And you start complaining. What is my response as a man? Don't let it bother you. Don't let it. Well, no, a man's logical is where I'm going with. Don't let it bother you. You're not being emotional for me to be logical. That's not why you're in an emotional state. You're in an emotional state because that's what you like doing because that's an emotional being. Right. You're being emotional. There's nothing wrong with sitting there and inventing about a girlfriend that didn't pick you up and you had to w walk home. Whatever. There's only one person. By the way, there's only one person in your life. One. And only one that's supposed to have the same goals as you. Not your friends, your children, your, your parents, you, you know, your colleagues at work, your partner. So when you're talking to somebody else, they don't have the same goals as you. So that's where conflict comes from, the outside world. So you come home and you're complaining. You want to, The reason why girls have girlfriends is because they don't have emotional guard. They're only emotional outlets with their posse. They got to go to the posse. Guess what happened today? So you girls can be emotional because that's what, not there's anything wrong with that. You know, guys being emotional is a weakness. There's nothing wrong with being emotional. So what I teach guys to do, put your arm around her. Put your arm around her. I'm so, honey, oh my God, I feel her feelings. Let her show you how to feel. <laughs> That's what she's trying to teach you. Knucklehead, as my dad would say. <laughs> this is what I mean. It's, you're, you're being emotional. There's nothing wrong with being emotional. Simple it's as that. Simple. This is exactly what it is. Those are two mental states. This materialistic world that we're living, where everything's supposed to be logical. No, we have an emotional side. It's called our spouse and our family. And we've forgotten that in the priority of life. That's another big thing that I teach. Your number one priority sleeps next to you every night. Not your job, not your kids, by the way. Lightly below that, but not your kids. Definitely not your friends, your, not your house. We need a bigger house. We can't afford it. Well, let's get divorced. <laughs> no, it's not the way it works. It's your wife, your, your husband, it's your partner. Put it on That's, the number one on the priority list instead of the very bottom. When you're mentioning about your priority is not your job, the kids, it's you two. What do you have to say to those who are trying to maintain a work-life balance? Because we have so many conflicting challenges that comes our way. As you mentioned, that women tend to be in the workforce as well, just as mm -hmm. equally as men. And conflicts are going to arise. You have jobs that are challenging. You have kids that you need to attend to at the same because you want to raise them to be good citizens. You want to go out and have fun. How do you maintain 
this work-life balance, keeping the spark alive in the relationship. Conflict resolution. You're supposed to pick up your daughter at four o'clock from school. Boss walks in your office at three thirty and says, "I need to see you." And you call your partner up, and your partner's heading to a meeting. Who's picking up the kid? Let's talk about it. You can't tell me I have to pick up the kid, and I can't tell you that you have to pick up the kid. Can we figure it out? The solution is okay. If it's something that I lose my job and you lose your job. We should be able to call our friend up and say, "Look, we're both going to be unemployed unless you go pick up our our daughter from school." Whatever, whatever, figure it out. Where you can't tell me the answer and I can't tell you the answer. That's life. In fact, there's a really poetic. Have you ever heard of Carl Jung? Yes. Twenty percent of my book is a summary of his autobiography. One of my ultimate objectives is to finally replace Freud with Jung. Jung, figure、mm -hmm. out. Let me just back up for a second, in case your audience doesn't know who Freud Jung is. Jung was 19 years younger than Freud. Freud looked up to Jung so much that he considered him not only his heir apparent but his son. And as we know, Freud's theory is that I want to have sex with my mom. It's not true, by the way, but nevertheless, that provides the foundation for the industry to this day. Mm -hmm. Young disagreed with him, <laughs> and Young went much further than Freud did in understanding how the mind works. And Young's got a very poetic dream that he had, that poetically describes life. And I use this to demonstrate the answer to your question. Beautifully written. He's in a mighty wind. He's got a candle lit, and his job was to keep that candle lit against the torrent of the wind. With his shadows following behind him, this is a dream he has, and he wakes up and he realizes it's torn of life that continually is rushing towards you, and you've got this light of consciousness, the, the light of consciousness. This is masterful. The light of consciousness is your job to keep a light with your shadows, your insecurities following behind you, and I then follow on to say not only your shadows, but those that you inherit from your spouse. That is life. You've got to keep the the roof over the head, the food on the table, which is life, and then you also have to look backwards and look at your shadows and figure out how to work together as a couple to help each other heal through those traumatic experiences. That is life. This is what we are all supposed to figure out. And what you're doing when you're healing, let me explain that for a second. This now we're getting profound. The only reason why I can comfortably and confidently stand in front of anybody. And tell them that I have solved the marriage problem is because I forgave my parents when I was 25. We alluded to that earlier. The biggest influence on a marriage it turns out to be the parent, because the notion of development implies the earlier in the state of development, the less developed you are. When are you least developed at birth? Who are your biggest influence? Your parents. They teach you about love. And I let go of all of the things that my parents did that destroyed my childhood in one day. It was a conversation I had with a friend. We were trying to outdo each other on who had the worst childhood, except he'd already healed. And whenever I one tried to one up him, he would one up me. But he would always end by saying, "But I still love my father." That's another story we can get into details. It's very insightful to, to give details of, of what I'm talking about going through this experience. But as it turns out, we are supposed to be born twice. First is obvious birth, but the second, the bat mitzvah in the Jewish tradition, the first communion in the Christian tradition, even barbaric traditions in antiquity were all created to initiate us into adulthood. But the、mm -hmm. but the bar mitzvah, the first communion, happened at like twelve or thirteen years old, which at the time they were created 
it was when we became adults, but we know we're not adults now until we're at least in our 20s. Those traditions no longer have the meaning that they did when they were created. Now we've put this, what's called transformation, into the hands of people that still believe that we're animals, which are the psychologists. Okay, and I'm advancing beyond the biology theory, finally introduced psychology into psychology. Psychology, the root for the word is Greek for the mind, and I'm introducing mental aspects to psychology. That's how I'm advancing in the 21st century. But the point is, is this is how we're supposed to live life. Overcoming our shadows together. If you create a non-judgment zone in your marriage, you should be comfortable bringing up anything from your past to discuss. And if you have a judgment-free marriage, you don't have to worry about your partner thinking less of you because you were molested as a child or whatever thing happened to you when you were young. To judge somebody, you don't define them, you define yourself as somebody who judges. We have to remove right. judgmental from the, from the relationship and you realize that it's not your, in fact, what's so cool about this, when people realize this, it's not your partner's fault. Your partner wasn't the one that got divorced when you were a kid. So when you're judging your partner because your parents divorced, it has nothing to do with your partner. You fell in love with this person. You decided you want to spend the rest of your life with this person. They were a good person at the beginning. What changes? And what changes, by the way, this is a whole nother conversation. One of the things that I've discovered for the first time as well is what causes behavior. Mm. It's not biology. I'm not out in, in the marriage for the physical act. It's pleasurable and enjoyable and the icing on the cake, but that's not, marriages are mental experiences. They're not biological experiences. It's true. Right? And so this, and that's, we have to, we have to remember that marriages are mental experiences. Okay. So the reality is, is what causes behavior is our character trait, which are our yeah. beliefs. This is the point. This is what you're trying to teach in your podcast on things are mental. Mm -hmm. but, but here's the point about that. Or, or, I'm a nice guy, which is true. I'm a nice guy, but I don't walk around thinking to myself, Tim's a nice guy, Tim's a nice guy. I behave because that's my belief. But let me give you an example, uh, Rosh. Let me highlight to your readers what I'm talking about and, the, and how sure. significant it is to understand that. You walk across wall. A car comes up, stops, lets you finish the walk, and you wave at the car. Why did you wave at the car? Because I'm a nice person. Right? Are you saying that to yourself when you're waving? Rashmi's a nice person. Rashmi's a nice person. <laughs> Watch this. Right? No. No. Because your belief system that you're a nice person is unconscious. You're not aware of it. Right. Young said that the goal is to make conscious what is unconscious or else it appears as fate. If you're afraid of you getting divorced, you're going to get divorced. What you're afraid of, which is unconscious motivation. This is why it's so important to understand the difference between we're aware of and what we're not aware of. Because the goal is to bring down what we are not aware of and make us aware of it. Mm-hmm. We can deal with it again. And what's so cool about this, I actually have in my book a history of education to demonstrate how much more conscious we are today than we've ever been. In 1900, 5% of the population graduated from high school. 5%. I have a graduate degree, for God's sake. I am more aware than our society has ever been. This is why Carl Jung's concept of individuality is so powerful because that is cultural change we're going through psychologically. We used to be defined by the group we belonged to, the church, the, the town we grew up in. We identified as a group, and that's the way society was created so we can build boundaries, which is we needed to in that time of development. But now we're developing in the age of individuality. This is the whole spirituality age. 
A balanced ego is not when you're better than anybody else. It's when you're better than you used to be. That is the, the mission. That is what everybody is supposed to figure out as individuals on what that means and how to get there as a state of mind. That is the, that is the, the goal for mental development. You're not judgmental to other people, particularly the one you sleep next to every night. It's your character trait, which your belief. And we're obviously not talking about waving to the car that stopped to let us through. We're talking about the fight you and I just had because I came home late for work. Yeah. What is negative belief behind that argument? And it has nothing to do with the person you're mad at. Correct. There's no one to blame is one of my favorite titles of one of the books that I wrote. There's no one to blame. Bringing the unconscious is too conscious. Mm -hmm. Can you just elaborate a little bit more in terms of steps? Very, very significant question. How profound, Rashmi, thank you. Because to finish our conversation of the steps that lead to anger, mm -hmm. insecurity, prejudice, judgmental anger. And when I'm doing that, when I walk people through that concept, and this took me years to answer your question, it took me years. And when I finally answered the question, I laughed at myself at the simplicity of the answer. Fear leads to anger. It's no more complicated than that. So what I have people do, when I'm, this is pretty cool. When I have them on my seminar, this is the class participation. Husband and wife sit next to each other. One looks to the other and I say, do it nicely, but you're a jerk. The other one looks back at the one saying that and says, the reason why you said that is you're afraid. What are you afraid of? And for the one to look back at the other and say, you're right, I'm wrong, I'm sorry. And then I joke afterwards that you did two things. Number one, some of you, that might have been the first time you admitted you were wrong. There's nothing wrong with admitting you made a mistake. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. It's not a character flaw. People with insecurities, unfortunately, who let others define them, look, they think less of themselves, and it's their projection when they say that. But number two, I come home late from work, and you get mad at me. question that I had to answer, in fact, the way I break it down is there's illegal behavior, there's immoral behavior. Just so you know, infidelity is not the cause of problems in your relationship. Infidelity is the result of problems in your relationship. I have had it happen to me. It feels like a gunshot in the gut. It's one of the most mm -hmm. painful experiences of my life. But it's we're not talking about that. We're, we're talking about before it gets there, subjective behavior. I come home late for work and you get mad at me. What's the right answer? There's no right answer, right? Point is, is what is the natural response? Now, I will caveat this, that if I am out drinking with my buddy, I do not have a clear conscience when I come home. But if I got that call at 5 in the night when I was supposed to be home at 5, and I have the, if I'm behaving morally, and I come home, this is the question, I, when I'm not really doing anything wrong, people don't think ahead of time about pissing their, their partner off. I'm not driving home from work and watch Rashmi, she's going to get so pissed at me that I'm an hour late. I don't think that's not the way moral human beings behave, right. but they still get in trouble. That's the point of the question. And the answer is, it's not, do not fight or flight. This is what I'm doing. I'm neutralizing the fight or flight syndrome because my natural response is, got a call and you're going yeah but you said that yeah but sense and nonsense and that's another poetic uh, thing about Carl Jung says when he describes an argument he describes basically in such poetic terms what's what's going on between you and me in an argument but the point is, is the answer that I've discovered is Rashmi what are you afraid of that is the question what happens when two people fall in love the definition of love is vulnerability that is the definition of love when you are able to open your soul up to another human being, that's because you love them. That is what love is. Love is not a weakness, but it's your greatest measure of courage. Mm, and so the point is, is it's not me being late. 
It's you have abandonment issues, you have low self-esteem issues, and this is, again, not a fault with you. There's no one to blame. This is the process that we go through as we grow up. It's called maturity. Mm. Okay? So now we get to sit down and talk about the answer. And the answer has nothing to do with me coming home late from work. It has everything to do with the nerve that I struck inside of you, the, the beauty of love. Definition of growing together is when we are both are able to heal from our past together as partners. I teach couples to be many therapists with each other. Sweetheart, oh my God, are you kidding me? You were molested. Oh my God, I couldn't imagine that. I'm crying thinking about saying this because I'm feeling her pain. Hmm. This is what we're supposed to be doing. And guess what? We heal together. Let me let me explain to you forgiveness. You're going to love this too. So I actually have a mentor of mine who is translating the oldest Bible in existence that was written in Aramaic. Jesus spoke Aramaic. He didn't speak English. And one of the things you realize about the Bible is there's been Aramaic to Greek to Latin to the modern languages. And along the way, there's been, I call them dilutions through translations. And that way I could talk deep about that. That gets me in trouble. But what this guy's discovered is one of the biggest examples when the Greeks translated forgiveness from Aramaic, they translated it to mean to pardon. When you do something wrong to me and I'm anxious about it and I forgive you, I pardon you. But the problem with that is it remains as a mental energy in my memory bank. What Jesus actually said out of the babe's mouth is that forgiveness means to cancel. When I forgave my parents, I completely canceled all of the negative emotions I had toward, I actually fell in love with them that night. Called them crying, sorry, I apologized. Fell in love with my parents, that one conversation. And now what you do, the beautiful thing about this, keep in mind, I've actually discovered the source of the slaying your dragons myth. And what's so interesting about that myth, the, the night always lived. You do not die for slaying your dragons. You die for not. It's called suicide. But you do not die from slaying your dragons. And even more significantly, the way this original poem describes it, he describes the dragon like a caught ox. One of the things you realize when you're on the other side of that journey is how minimal your problems were. Dragon is not threatening. In fact, from this perspective, I am who I am because of my parents, and I didn't turn out to be such a bad guy. They did a pretty good job, I and mean, my dad was a cab driver. I was raised on food stamps, but they did the best that they could, and they did a, all, all my three siblings, all of us are good people, great siblings. They did a good job, and unfortunately, my dad's listening from on high. I hope he's proud of me. This is what you realize, the value of that experience, and you are who you are. Of that experience but you will not realize that you will not realize that until you're on the other side of that journey and it is so much less pain than you think it is here's the caveat fine print that you have to realize before you do this enlightenment comes at a price you have to give up your limitations that is what you have to let go of the reason why people fall in love with depression is because they get comfortable with their limiting belief. Misery loves company. And there's always pain before a child is born. This is the thing you have to understand. I cried. It was painful. I was 25 years old, crying about my parents. But you have to go through that experience. In fact, the most profound thing I do in my workshop, and I'm not going to elaborate on this because this is sort of the, the, the prize at the end of the journey. But if you've not, you should watch the It's Not Your Fault video on Goodwill Hunting. 
with Robin Williams and Matt Damon. That is what therapy is supposed to do. The standard I will hold up any therapist to if I ever get a chance of influence in any potential standards on therapy. So if you're not helping your clients go through that transition, you're wasting their time. You mentioned a lot, and I really thank you about the conflict resolution, about the steps, about how the limiting beliefs or the belief system that we carry, about the insecurities we hold. Giving all this, what are the first few steps we can take in terms of improving our communication with our partner in our relationship? Because I understand what you're saying that we it's no one's fault, no one's to be blamed. How do we overcome all these mental frustration that we're carrying, this baggage, and just sit together face to face and just start a beautiful communication that we have lost along the way? To back up a second before I answer, bear in mind that the goal of this communication is understanding each other's perspectives and thoughts and feelings are different. This is the goal though. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this is when you think about it this way, because I deal with that a lot in, in when I'm working with couples as well, is because they hear what I'm saying, but they just can't figure out that first step. And that's what you're asking. You're asking the first right. step. And here's what I teach yeah. you. Sweetheart, I love you. <laughs> I want to spend the rest of my life with you. I want to raise my children with you. I want to grow old with you. we got to figure this out. Please. Mm. Okay. Because I'm telling you, the other side of the journey, grass ain't greener over there. I hate to tell you this. In fact, let me give you this insight into how significant this is. Because this is, again, I'm raising the priority of marriages in in relationship. Hmm. So Carl Jung describes the anima in the man as an unconscious vision of a woman that is in development. And the animus in the woman as an unconscious vision of a man that she develops. And it starts, because you got to keep in mind, dating is new in our society. It's a 20th century phenomenon. We never dated. I met you at church and you were a girl and I was a guy and we're the same age and we lived next door to each other. We got married. (laughs) That was the courting process in the old days, right? We now date. We're developing. The reason why you break up with somebody, they're called stepping stones. And the reason why you're developing is you're developing this vision. And when the two of you meet and those matching visions come together, that is the magic called God. That is the beauty of what has happened. That's why it's so easy at the beginning. You've met your map. In fact, what you develop is an emotional bond called love. The mind is never stagnant. It's either growing or shrinking. This is the way that the mind works. You're either going to grow this or die a death by a thousand swords, and that's called argument. In fact, when somebody says, I love you, but I'm not in love with you, what they're basically saying is the feelings have finally completely evaporated. And now we have a house together. We have kids together. We have a check in our kid. We have a logical relationship. The emotions are completely gone. You've been given a gift from God. I've got some bad news for anybody listening to this. You can't get in your car and drive to Walmart and go find a new one. True. It's not that easy. You've been given a gift from God when he met the anima and the animus matching. This is what psychologically happened to the two of you. You two should understand that, is how fortunate you are to have found each other. Mm -hmm. Begin the conversation with that. And you don't understand the difference between success and failure in this. Failure is miserable. When you're in a miserable marriage, I got a guy tell me once, because I just realized that my marriage is miserable. There's nothing I can do about it. I felt so sorry for this guy. The other side of the coin is called the mountaintop. This is what we have been searching for for thousands of years. And I've figured out how to create that. Sorry, one guy, my son asked me that. He goes, you're just one guy. I'm like, I, but I figured it out. I can't help it. I had no, I'm on my fifth career. I've lived in seven cities in my adult life. This wasn't something I thought of when I was a child. I will tell you when I was 12 years old, 
I told my mom I wanted to be a Catholic priest, and then I discovered girls. So that old career path kind of got derailed. <laughs> that watered everything down. <laughs> exactly. You can't do both. You can't be a priest and like girls at the same time. It's against the rules. So, and I hate to tell you this, but you guys won. <laughs> Sorry, church, but the girls won. This is how precious your marriage is. And so when you're able to sit down and realize, now that you've got the solution at hand, this is when the light bulb clicks on. Now that you know what the goal is, again, as I, as I begin with people, I, the goal is in front of you now. What we're doing, what we're doing, and the bottom line with this, the bottom line with your question, we're making conscious what is unconscious. You, I come home late for work, you get mad at me. That is an unconscious conversation. When I'm yelling at you and you're yelling at me, you are not conscious. That is an animalistic approach, which we are trying to eliminate. This is called development, and we are a developed country. And what that means is, stay logical. Just stay logical. Understanding from each other's perspective. You know, what I'm saying, because what happens is when I keep talking about myself and you're not listening, because you're listening from your perspective, is we get to the point where we just give up, screw it. And, and one of the things that girls have to worry about is because we're not good at emotions is what we normally do is nothing. Hmm. I come home late from work and you're yelling at me. I just shut down. I'm just going to ignore her. I can look at you and smile all day long and not hear a word you're saying. That's where communication breaks down. And if you want your guys to stay engaged in your marriage, you can't yell at them. Yeah, you can't. And the same thing with guys. If you want to stay married, you can't yell at your wife. So we're just being developed. This is all this is. You know, civil disobedience, Martin Luther King's entire platform was based on civil disobedience, which is a term that was coined by an American philosopher in the 19th century called Thoreau. We can disagree until the cows come home as long as we are civil about it. Let's just be civil. That's it. That's your that's your solution. That's your solution. Let the kids put the kids to bed. Let's sit down. Let's figure this out. Realize it goes back to your childhood. Oh, it is. Unless you were molested as a child, that's a sidebar. That's when somebody mm -hmm. else causes the problem. And mm -hmm. that's a whole nother conversation. I actually had a girl tell me that the other day when I mentioned that. She goes, I was. Oh, my goodness. There's a reason why that is the most looked down on section of our society. You don't touch my child, right? Other than that, it's your family. You're more vulnerable when you're less developed and you're around your family at that age. It's not complicated. Thank you for that, Tim. Last thing, to summarize it all, what is your suggestion in just keeping the marriage happy and that spark alive? I know you've Never touched on a lot the of beginning. Things. Never forget the beginning. Never forget the beginning. Yes. But how, what's how can what's we do that when we're so well, angry and upset? Well, this is <laughs> You're on fire. So <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> When, when couples meet, they do character research. Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? How many siblings? That's what character research is. Your character is the lessons that define your beliefs. And you're doing character research. Unfortunately, again, I'm not being down on the psychology industry, but I do point to their focus, their, their, their sole focus on behaviors, I believe has influence. My son's middle name is Hamilton. Griffin Hamilton Kellis. Love that name. Because I was reading Alexander Hamilton's biography when he was in a womb. This was before the play came out. And if you know the story about the about Alexander Hamilton, in fact, this is the whole point of the play, was he was killed in a duel with Aaron Burr in 1804 over character. 
And what's interesting is his son actually died three years earlier in a duel supporting defending his father's honor. Our founding fathers were men of character. This is what we've lost sight of because of this sole focus on behaviors. Mm. You fell in love with me because of my character. You fall out of love with me because you focus on my behaviors. What if the reason why I was staying late for work was so that I can advance my career and make more money for the family? What are you thinking about? Me coming home an hour late or me trying to build an empire for my family? Which one are you more focused on? My behaviors or my character? Yeah, and I hate okay. to tell you this, but what you're looking at now is the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. You're looking at me coming home late and trying to reverse engineer my, beha- my character based on my behavior. And because of our focus on behaviors, that's what we're doing psychologically. And by dealing with this title psych- mentally, now you're understanding how to deal with that. Okay, keep in mind the person that you fell in love. You fell in love with their character, not their behavior. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I I really appreciate you coming on board and discussing how we can solve our marriage. And I am sure, as you mentioned in the beginning, that there's so much to talk about. And we've just scratched the surface. And we definitely want to bring you back on board after gaining perspective from the audience, what else they want to hear regarding marriage. And I will do that second round. I am at your disposal. You know that. Well, there you have it, audience. I am so thankful for Tim being on board. I will send you information so you can reach out to him. Thank you so much for joining in today. Have a wonderful, healthy, blessed day. Take care. Love you guys. Bye-bye.